I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Today, we're going to be talking about an article I wrote called What's the Alternative? Today, I have three special, ultra special, extremely special guests with me today. Uh, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Mr. Kenny Molina. Hey. And Mr. Dea Pernas. Hi, everyone. Now, usually when I start this out, I'm going to give you kind of like a primer of the article. Just go read it. But what I want to tell our listeners, going to give a little bit of a different flavor, why I wrote this article. I have so many people that I meet with lately that they have a lot of unique things in their portfolio. If we look back 40 years ago, people were investing in stocks, bonds, and they had a cash savings account. That's pretty simple to understand. Now I have people coming to me and they own micro positions in artwork, or they own a micro position in a classic car, or they have a claim on a prospective athlete's future income. These are more esoteric investments than we're used to. Um, and I think people have the opportunity to get lost, confused, and sometimes taken advantage of. So what I wanted to do uh, on this conversation is for the four of us to talk about the things that we've seen, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and kind of uh, how an investor should prepare themselves if they're going to be investing in alternatives. I'm glad you wrote this article because we talk about it a lot with clients that there's stocks, bonds, and then everything else. Well, that everything else is a pretty vast asset class. It, it can be almost anything. And uh, I think people can get themselves in trouble when they hear something that sounds very exciting and it scratches an itch of a concern of theirs. You mentioned the article, if they are worried about inflation. Well, if you have someone that says, this is the best investment to combat that, it already kind of uh, convinces them before they know anything about it. And the more complex it is, the more fun it is to tell their friends about. And that's probably not the best, uh, most ideal thing for an investment. Like the shinier the object. Yep. I think you wrote an article called that exact Shiny Objects? I <laughs> yeah. think I did too. <laughs> uh, Mr. Kenny Molina, this is your space. Uh, here at the Bonsa Group, um, you help our team kind of vet out alternatives and kind of oversee that department. So I'd love to hear your opinion. Uh, yeah, the uh, article makes a pretty good point where alternatives, and as Sean just mentioned, is this catch-all, whether that be the micro-position in a car, owning farmland, perhaps their alternative manager, so it becomes a little hard to uh, help clients understand what that part of the portfolio is and more importantly, what it's doing for their objectives. Uh, and uh, a lot of my time and I think Dea's time and investor committee's time is spent trying to understand the strategy and then more importantly, understand um, how does this work alongside what we currently own within the portfolios, right? And and is that helping us get to our objective? And, uh, you know, the, the fact that these uh, investors can access now more than anything I think they've ever been able to access with their, uh, I think at the moment you can even go buy shoes on some exchange. I, I think. was thinking that too, that you can buy like classic Jordans or something and own like a, a tokenized position or something. Right, right. So, so, you know, putting that on isolation as uh, asset allocators here, uh, I try to go back to a very fundamental question. What is the value of this? And, and, and the value if you're looking at a company, perhaps that's cash flow. When you're looking at a unique piece of uh, art or, or a shoe, uh, you know, there's a discussion and an analysis that can go into that, which I think the average investor doesn't do. So here at the Bonson Group, we try to more clearly define what alternative can be. And uh, we primarily are trying to uh, emphasize strategies or managers 
that bring an uncorrelated return profile, whether it's through what they own or what their mandate is, and then how we pair that to, to alternative profiles. And we're not really too focused on these, these shiny boxes and objects. Which kind of brings me to you, Dea. I feel like the language I hear is that this is revolutionary because it's the democratization of everything. Like everybody has access. Like let's go lobby at the White House to change rules about an accredited investor and give access and different things like that. What's your take on all that? Uh, I, th- I think uh, just like you, just like you said in your article, it's a paradox of choice. And uh, is all this choice a, a good thing when it comes to actually making the decisions and uh, implementing some of these uh, quote unquote alternatives in your portfolio? And uh, Kenny mentioned that you know. Part of uh, the selection is understanding how it fits within your broader portfolio, understanding, you know, what exactly is this new thing that I'm buying? Uh, Is it an investment? Is it speculative? Is it something that I'm just hoping someone else uh, will think is worth more and then buy it off me two weeks from now? And really understanding uh, what what your strategy is and how that fits within uh, the overall portfolio. A lot of these uh, a lot of these options that you had alluded to. Are don't even make it past the first step in our investment process because we look for very specific uh, track records and very uh, specific repeatability before we engage in investment. So if it's not something that we can gauge using uh, uh, traditional tools and uh, critical thought, it's something uh, that we that we obviously pass on. We were meeting as advisors the other day, and you were kind of telling us a story about a strategy, a volatility strategy that blew up um, and how detrimental that was to clients of another advisor. Um, and that's when you kind of walked us through there's this criterion or however you would say it uh, – the, the Bonser Group has to say, hey, even to be considered at the table, um, I think there were three things that you mentioned. Uh, maybe you could talk to those. Yes, absolutely. And what we look for uh, when it comes to our alternatives is, and w- how we define alternatives is uh, any sort of investment that has a different risk and return driver than the stock or bond market. And there, that, that's obviously a very wide umbrella. So we have to, we have to further uh, the criteria and uh, we're not looking for somebody or an investment that just might seem like a cool strategy that might seem like it make a, it might make some money, but but we're not it doesn't really have an established type of track record. So before we before we even start our investment our heavy investment due diligence, we look for uh, an alternative that has a long track record. So the track record needs to be there, and we need to be able to tie that track record to the types of investment decisions are being made. Uh, there's a lot of track record that track records out there that look good, but maybe not for uh, skill-based reasons of whoever the manager might be. And secondly, what we look for is uh, you know stable capital base. Uh, these are investments that already have a substantial amounts of money in them. Uh, you know, obviously, which which uh, which increases the need for compliance, increases the need. For infrastructure, uh, you know, it increases likelihood that you're dealing with more more of a business, obviously, than than some uh, than you know somebody that runs you know ten or fifteen million dollars out of their garage or something. And then uh, finally, we're looking for uh, we're looking for the alternative to have a uh, for it to be part of a, an overall business and that business to have a culture, to have a reputation, uh, to have a to have a brand that uh, you know that gives us confidence in the longevity of the strategy. 
And that was really meaningful when he told me about that because what what it meant to me is that we're not looking for somebody that just had past results. We're looking for somebody that had past results that have all the ingredients or the DNA that that can be repeated Um, and that you have the checks and balances around them to make sure – that there's good risk measurements, right? Because like when we we're talking about that strategy, that volatility strategy that that blew up, that had an impact on an, an advisor's entire portfolio, uh, right? Like a client felt a two percent loss for just one strategy um, that, uh, in theory, was a good strategy. Uh, the math wasn't done around, um, hey, in these unique scenarios. I think it was 2017 mm-hmm. um, when volatility is just so like tranquil. Uh, what happens when that switch gets turned back on? What happens to those derivative contracts and things like that? Uh, again, um, I won't get into too much of the weeds, but it goes back to this idea of diligence. I know Sean and I were talking the other day. He was talking to an investor that had a wide array uh, of different alternative investments. And it got us into a conversation about when you look into these alternatives, the difference between sizzle and substance, right? Because the story sounded good with a lot of them. But then even just some simple Google searches, when you peeled back the onion, you were I was cringing a little bit. Yeah, it's it's true. And, and you mentioned something that David says a lot, that once you do go into some of these niche investment strategies, even though the idea might be right, the execution can be wrong. And then you run into manager risk. And that was the, one of the first things we saw is they, the idea sounded good. It sounded fun and exciting. It almost makes you want to look into it. But then you have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, why are we not already doing this? Why have I not heard about this? And then you start to kind of peel back those layers and you realize that, People close companies and permanent loss of capital is a real thing for people. And I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of made me think of earlier when you were talking about maybe uh, uh, opening up accredited investments or or no longer. It's weird. Maybe less changing the requirements. requirements. My first thought was like, oh, less regulation. That makes sense. But this is probably the only part of the world that I think it is important to have some sort of um, safeguards because do you need to be an accredited investor to invest into NFTs or crypto? No, nope. I, I don't think so. Right. And I, I look at some of that stuff and go, oh, my goodness, do people realize what they're buying or do they know what's happening? And it, I, I don't think they do. So it, it makes me wonder, like, where do they draw that line where, OK, this is something that's registered with the SEC and we can kind of uh, safeguard this. Oh, but that stuff, we, we turn a blind eye. Wish you best of luck. Some of the criticism is this idea that being a credit investor is should be more about your intellect than your, your pocketbook. Um, but I will say when you look at something like your pocketbook and you have other requirements where you can't take a position greater than this size, um, it, it does keep you in your lane. Um, could it be disruptive to this idea of free markets and things like that? And, and, uh, people miss out on this idea of private equity or uh, these huge unicorns that get big before they go to public markets, Uh, perhaps. And that's a conversation that's being had. But I think really where we want to focus today is for clients. um, When we look at alternatives, uh, Sean and I talked about the other day, just a a, a two-question vetting process. Why would I own this? And how would I go about owning this? Uh, In the article, uh, I thought, and you'll be able to speak better to it than I would, Dea, but that David Bonson's um, current project of vetting out Chinese sovereign debt is a really good example of this. Because first, he's trying to figure out, 
why would we do this? Would this be a good fit in our boring bonds when you have a zero interest rate environment across the world and uh, perhaps there's this opportunity in Chinese sovereign debt? Um, conversations with Louis Gav, um, research, writing, kind of peeling back the curtain in Dividend Cafe and letting uh, readers see where we're at. When I talked to you about it one time, I remember, Dea, you're like, hey, intellectually, we're 90% there, but execution, we're like 10% because those are two different vetting process. This idea of why would we do it and then how in the world do we go about doing it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's a great example of, of some of the due diligence that goes into uh, these selections. And with the Chinese sovereigns, uh, really, we're starting with an attractive market opportunity. Okay, so here is an area where we can have uh, – or some where we can where we can uh, we we can have attractive yield. The yields in Chinese uh, uh, sovereign debt is is double our debt with uh, comparable risk profiles as to as to U.S. Treasuries. And then how do we go about access, accessing this market opportunity? And it's not so simple of a question, especially with uh, you know China and their capital controls. And we're trying to figure out maybe uh, if we can own them, then what type of vehicle will we, would we own them in? Would it be an LP type product? Would it be an ETF? Would it be a mutual fund? And all those structures uh, have uh, have trade offs that, that we need to assess. So uh, part it starts really with a mar- market opportunity. Here's an area of the market that we think is going to be attractive over the intermediate to long term, and then we have to find the structure, and then we have to find the manager, and then uh, and then we have to implement uh, those ideas. So it, it's it's quite it's it's quite a process. And I think uh, Trevor brought up the example. It's it's a it's a good. Uh, it's a good example that 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 shows our clients uh, some of the due diligence steps that we go through. Now, let me tell you guys what I usually see: uh, an investor sees an, an interesting idea on TV, an idea about inflation, an idea about cryptocurrency, an idea about Chinese sovereign debt, um, and what they want to do. How can I get to a website fast enough where there's a one-click buy? Um, that's their process. This sounds like a good idea. Now let me find where I can get a one-click buy. And, and the problem that I see with that is if we have these um, criteria that we want to see a uh, large capital base, long track record, and a real business behind it, when they hit that one-click buy, they're usually not getting those three things. And, and it breaks my heart because I can think of an investor right now in my mind that invested in something that I said, theoretically, that actually makes sense. That's a good idea. I understand the risk reward, but they executed with a company that no longer exists. Mm. So happens all the time. Yeah. And um, it it makes sense because uh, I don't know what the survival rate is for a small business, but it's pretty small, right? Like I think after one year, 80% of businesses no longer exist. So that, that, uh, that theory, um, the, the finance industry is not immune to that. So I just get nervous when we get this idea of democratizing alternatives and this world of one-click buy that people are going to find a lot more investments that go to zero, um, even if the concept of the theory is good and the execution is bad. Yeah, Trevor, that's a great point, which is, uh, you know, as asset allocators here at the Bonson Group, a considerable amount of our efforts actually goes into the operational due diligence, which is a part, uh, the part uh, that Dan mentioned and you just repeated, uh, which is that um, track record, both of the asset class, the strategy, but the manager, and then the business that they've built around it, right? Uh, so as as uh, as we analyze these strategies and these assets uh, intellectually, and then we compare them, as Dan mentioned, to their track records and the investment decisions that were implemented to achieve them, we're also looking at the business, uh, and we take considerable efforts into not just 
making sure it's solid and there's capital base. But for example, um, if this is a strategy that was pioneered by, let's call it Trevor Cummings, is Trevor Cummings still at the firm, right? Is, is the guy who pioneered it, is the guy who knows where the switches are and the skeletons are buried, is he still day in, day out, is his equity, is his investment, his net worth tied to this, or is he in the Bahamas on a yacht? And then you're dealing with uh, maybe a management team that's been put together in the past two, three years, right? Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, uh, investors, especially in this uh, democratizing uh, capital market space, have ready access to investments and ways to try to implement their thesis, uh, but the execution of how, not just in uh, the vehicle, as Dan mentioned, whether that's an ETF, a mutual fund, perhaps an LP, uh, but also the uh, the people that are executing this on their behalf, or whether that's direct exposure, what's the best way? And I believe that the average investor may sometimes have very small uh, knowledge of the first part and almost none of the latter. That's a really good point, because if you think about it, if something is a one-click buy, it's probably very transactional. Um, the person selling the product or the idea is getting compensated based off that transaction. Um, what I heard from Kenny is making sure that there's structure around this track record. It's typically an alignment of interests, too, because if you think about it, uh, most uh, small investment companies that have had success and they built a company around an idea, they like to say the fact that, hey, our own money is invested in this. We're right here with you. And that's something that you can have a little bit more confidence in. One way you talked about earlier with shoes, one way to get to a really good valuation is have a deep market, right? Have a lot of market participants. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And what I start to notice is what, what, what happens when the same company is doing the commercial on every single podcast that I'm listening to? They're making a huge marketing push, whether it's a, a company that allows you to buy artwork or a company that allows you to buy farmland. And I see this huge marketing push going along. But again, th- those, those uh, markets currently don't have this huge breadth, right? So you have a real hard time figuring out valuation, even furthermore, when you can't connect it back to cash flow. Uh, and it is, you know, not to be critical, it is a speculative asset that depends on somebody willing to be paying more in the future than you paid for it today. Uh, and I, I, you guys don't think I'm crazy for saying it this way, but it, it makes me scared for investors because I think, like, I just imagine if I close my eyes, this person kind of on the road or the journey to a financial plan and these, like, Vegas lights, like, flashing lights mm-hmm. on each side. Buy this, try this, do this. And it's like, wow, it's really hard to put your blinders on. Uh, I, I think it's a great point. And, and really, and when you stray outside of stocks or bonds, you need to be very, very careful and you need to have some – either you need to know somebody with the real expertise that you trust or you need to have that expertise yourself – uh, to be making some of those trades, even in the even in the ETF world, I mean, some of the uh, you you need to be very very careful. The amount of ETFs that have been created, I, I think right now they outnumber the amount of stocks and the different strategies and what's really underlying these ETFs. What's a discount? What's a premium? Uh, is it tradable at all? So, so really, once you start getting uh, beyond stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, you, you need to be uh, I think I think very very careful. And uh, as far as uh, what, what Trevor mentions and all these flashing lights on your on your way to Vegas, on your way to your goals, um, really the, the core, like the core of investing to us is being able to being able to estimate using a uh, tried and true framework of tools. You being able to estimate the value of an asset, and after you're able to estimate the value of that asset, then you look at what that asset is being priced at, and if what you think is if it's being valued at, if it's higher. And it's what it's being priced at. 
you're going to want to make that investment. And over time, that price, if you're correct on your uh, analysis, that price should con- uh, converge to the value of that asset. So at the end of the day, investing isn't it's uh, it's a type it's a craft where you have where you have a a toolkit that you can use to make good decisions and. Uh, you really have to ask yourself what are you what are you trying to do and what your goals are, and stay away from uh, the different ways that you could you could uh, that you, you could hurt your financial future. And um, and these are all all these types of ways. And yeah, maybe there's outsized returns to be made in some areas, uh, but I, I I can tell you that there's also um, out, outsized losses to be made in those areas too. So. Uh, I, I guess I would just end it with uh, just just be very very careful and and consult uh, people with expertise that you trust. And uh, you know, not just being careful, it's also about understanding when shouldn't you own alternative assets. Um, the uh, I think Tom and Trevor has you know made a pretty good uh, point in uh, these last couple of years, which is your portfolio, your investment allocation should really be around your objectives. What are you trying to do? Retire. Uh, maybe provide for uh, your parents, maybe send your kids to college. Uh, And there are ways to do that. I think the uh, most common diversification method that the average investor has perhaps is real estate, right? Uh, And then after that, the stocks, the bonds, the cashes of the world. Uh, And at that point, ask yourself, if after talking with uh, my financial planner, if after talking with my advisor, I'm in shape and I'm fairly confident that I'll be getting to my goals within a reasonable time frame, do I need the shiny box in my portfolio? Do I need to go have these conversations? Uh, and is there a, if there's a section of my portfolio that is uh, can be put towards speculative investments, uh, maybe you can entertain that conversation. But if you're properly allocated, um, you kind of have to be able to tune those things out and, and understand that maybe I don't need alternative investments. Maybe I don't need to own uh, you know a, a micro share in uh, a, a vintage car <laughs> or a local brewery. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think if somebody was asking me, Trevor, do you own alternatives and why? The answer is yes, I do own alternatives, and let me tell you the why. And I, I think this why probably has a lot to do with why other investors um, are walking down the aisles with their shopping carts. Is we're in an environment where interest rates are really low, so I personally don't want to have a hundred percent stock portfolio. Um, market history tells me that there can be long periods where markets can struggle, uh, where, where stocks can be flat for a decade. Um, that's uncomfortable for me. I don't know if I can endure that. So this idea of finding other ways to source your returns, but still getting returns that meet the mark of my financial plan, that would be the focus. So um, looking into things like private lending or structured credit or uh, real estate or hedge funds, I think that makes my portfolio more complete. Um, I'll ask you guys a question, though. Anybody in this circle? You guys watch Family Guy? Used to. Used to? Used Family to. Guy? Used to? Yeah. Okay, a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> uh, I feel bad promoting it in the, the article because it's a, a pretty crude show. Yeah. But um, w- the reason I did is that there's that scene I just totally remember. Uh, Peter and, and Lois go to um, uh, a timeshare pitch, which oh. that's what the show likes to do. It, it likes to use these things that we've all experienced, we can relate to, we can laugh about. This slick salesman comes out. The whole reason they went is because they're going to get a free boat. Um, and yes, they're going to get a free boat if they just sit through this timeshare presentation. They do it, sit through it. Um, at the very end, he comes in and he says, hey, before you go, I'm going to give you one last option. You can have the boat because we already promised you that. Or instead of the boat, you could have the mystery box. 
And then Lois is like, no, no, no we're going to take the boat. And Peter's like, ooh. And Peter's like, wait, the mystery box? I mean, that could that could be anything. That could be a boat. You know how much we've wanted one of those? He says, we'll take the mystery box. And I feel like it's the same thing for investors. You have a conversation of like, why did you buy this investment? This could have equity-like returns. Well, you could own equities. You could own stocks. Um, you have to understand what is the behavior of that? What is the liquidity of that? What? It, how are you measuring that expected return? You can't just take the mystery box because it's the mystery box. Um, and for me, uh, anytime there's a serious topic like alternatives, um, I like to make humor out of it. So for me, that resonates. Um, the last thing I'll end with is that uh, David Bonson writes a nice little recap in the Bonson Group brochure on why alternatives. And one thing I'll highlight in there that he says, it's not a, about eliminating risk. It's about changing risk. And I think that's uh, something investors miss a lot is that I can have this other piece in my portfolio that will change the risk profile. Um, and, and I mentioned in the article that there are things uh, in the environment, right? Oil prices, inflation, interest rates, and different investments will have different sensitivities to those things. So if you can build a more robust and, and diverse uh, sources of your returns, um, I think you you get to a place where you get an all weather type portfolio. You can endure. You can get returns in hard times. Um, but you also need to understand that diversification is a lot like exercise. It's not very fun. Um, it's necessary, but not always enjoyable. So um, that was kind of the heart of the article. But uh, I'll give uh, one one way around. And uh, anybody want to include any final thoughts? Nope. Enjoyed the discussion. Thanks for having me. Uh, I would just end with understanding not just the why, but the how. Uh, we all talked about different uh, meanings of how, whether that's the vehicle, what's the liquidity in the market. Uh, so not just uh, understanding that there's an opportunity set. It may be shiny, it may be flashy, but understand how you uh, create a valuation around that, how you would exit the uh, uh, investment, and uh, how you would even want to touch the investment through a manager directly. I think those are all answers that most investors don't take a terrible amount of time asking themselves. The exit's so huge. We didn't mention it the whole yeah. time, but Sean's like shaking his head, just saying like it's absolutely because it could be the best investment in the world. Yep. Um, but talk to anybody that has uh, a large position in a business they personally own looks great on their balance sheet, but uh, there's not always a way to convert that to. Yeah, you ask them what's the end game, and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you guys summed it up great. Uh, the whole alternatives and all these different options are really being triggered by, uh, you know, what Trevor mentioned is uh, there's almost no yield out there. And owning core bonds, just, you know, it's hard for, uh, it's hard to rationalize it in a portfolio. And, and you have to find different ways uh, to access returns. And the idea is you're offsetting risk and adding another source of return in your portfolio. And that's what how we view alternatives and what we think uh, alternatives are all about and why it makes sense in client portfolios. So that's where we're at. Yeah, and if you're a client listening to this, uh, this is a conversation Sean would love to have with you. Dea would love to have with you. Our whole team would love to review your portfolio and kind of discuss um, what is the best fit for you and um, why it was designed this way. Uh, with that, I will ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. Leave a comment. You can email any of us at tom at thebonsagroup.com. We'll get back to you. Uh, we'll discuss what you'd like on this podcast or answer any questions that you might have. Uh, but of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money.
The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.